Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. We do a lot of interviews with EDM artists, pop artists, rappers, and people in the industry, letting you know what they do behind the scenes. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter through the handle Sidewalk Talk Show. Hope you guys enjoy. Hi, this is Lauren Engel. Today I'm here with What's So Not. What's up? <laughs> I've been listening to your music for so many years now, since I was living in Hong Kong. Oh, really? Like four or five years, yeah. Did you ever go to one of the shows in Hong Kong? Or you were just listening? I think I was like really young or something, okay. or like the time didn't match up, I don't know. My first overseas show was in Hong Kong. Really? Uh-huh. Wow, I didn't even know like <laughs> people in Hong Kong listen to like electronic music. That's so funny. So you were born in Sydney, right? Or uh-huh. were your parents born there as well? Um... I think so. Jeez. <laughs> Questioning life. Yeah, I think they were born in Sydney. Mm-hmm. I know they both grew up in that area. Yeah, what did they do? Uh, they are both somewhat retired accountants. Where did you get your creative side from? Wasn't it from her cousin though? Like her cousin? Yeah. What, Zale? Isn't he what? like really into music or yeah, like rock yeah, bands? Yeah. yeah, him. He's young, he's a lot younger than me though. Um, the creative side? I don't know, just kind of like, I think it was always there. I think a lot of people go through their lives not ever accessing it, not ever mm-hmm. giving it any, uh, giving it enough attention to turn into anything. I mean, my dad, for example, wanted to be an architect, but it didn't seem financially viable, so mm. it's just not an industry that he went into, because it was very cutthroat, and people at the top make a lot, and people sort of lower down don't make enough to survive on. Yeah. And a lot of people make choices like that, especially, you know, decades gone by, it was always about choosing a, a stable, uh, path in your career so that you could provide for a family and etc etc and uh, I think a lot of people shied away from the arts because of that um, and I chose to do the total opposite. Mm-hmm. Even in school were you like really into creative subjects or? No, uh, well I was but I again like I kept being discouraged from mm-hmm. doing it because it was said to not be a smart path to go down. It was just really challenging and there's no sh- sure sign like it's not like a wage kind of career you know it's mm-hmm. like a you either making it happen by yourself or you're just not earning money at all but you did started drumming like really really young right yeah yeah i played uh i played the drums when i was i started when i was about eight and then played until i was like 20 especially yeah. and then got into dance music and started DJing and You were initially music. into like more rock stuff, right? Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah. How did you get into that initially? Into rock? Yeah. I just kind of grew up with it. My dad always used to listen to Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and stuff like that. So it's just what uh, what I was used to as a child. <laughs> Do you remember the first CD you bought? It was um, Linkin Park Hybrid Theory. <laughs> were, you, were you ever in bands growing up? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was in the school band. <laughs> and, then I was, and then I was also in a rock band with a bunch of friends. Uh, that was really, really, really fun. Yeah. Yeah, it taught me a lot about working with people and, and jamming on music together and creating music together. What did that like band music sound like? I mean, it was a really poor attempt at some sort of like at the drive-in meets tool meets Rage Against the Machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, at eight, weren't you in some sort of accident with like headlines? Oh yeah, I got washed into a headland. When I was, when I was eight, I think I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, my dad took me out in some surf that was maybe a little above 
punching a little above my uh, ability and he was distracted because the surf was really good and, <laughs> and I as an eight-year-old ended up getting swept in a rip across to the oh like God. all the rock cliff face on one side of the beach and then washed straight into it. Oh, and that happened like a few years after also, right? Uh, I mean, I, I got, I stopped going to the, I stopped going in the water for like many years and, until I was like 13 mm -hmm. and then I started surfing again and then when you start surfing as a teenager then you are always getting washed across rocks yeah. because you're just sort of with a bunch of friends all pushing each other to go harder and do stupid things mm -hmm. and <laughs> take risks. So yeah, I mean I have scars all over my body and injuries yeah. from getting swept across <laughs> and grated on all kinds of things. You might even be thinking there's this one photo I put up last year, I got rinsed at um, DY Point which is mm -hmm. the, the break down the road from my parents house in Australia. And I got dragged all across oh. it, the whole rib cage just like bleeding oh. and cut up. Oh my god. And then I had to go to Fiji the next day and then their water's all filled with coral, uh, coral spores. Yeah. So I had to every day after the surf like scrub the wound open with lime to clean it out. It was just burn, <laughs> like, like crazy. Oh my god. But oh, yeah, surfing's yeah. great sport. <laughs> How would you describe yourself back then growing up? Uh, when I was growing up, mm -hmm. I was a very different person. I sort of hadn't worked a lot of things out yet, and it wasn't until I did that that I was really, uh, I guess, able to sort of execute things in the way that, uh, that it's sort of developed to now. It was, uh, I don't know, I just, I, I didn't really have a grasp of what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it and how I wanted to start to achieve things mm -hmm. and get there. Were you into school though? Like, did I enjoy school? Yeah. Hey, garbage truck. Um, I, I liked school, it was fun, my school was kind of nice, nothing special, just a public school, kind of a shitty school actually. <laughs> You're like, like not reflecting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, but it was nice people, mm -hmm. it was good people, um, and, and, you know, good teachers. Did you get pushed to study from your parents academically? I mean, yeah, but I, I think everyone does. Mm -hmm. Um... You know, there's just, there's more an expectation of you go to high school, you finish high school, you go to university, and that's what you do. And then uh, I decided after a year of university, I was like, this really just isn't for me. Dropped out, um, and I was doing music on the side the whole time, and then started working a desk job. And that was nice, like, and then there was this clear moment in my life when, after about five years, decided to just quit my job, go overseas to South America, and then I came back and I was like, I think I can never get a regular job again. I think I can do this yeah. and just do music full time. When you were in college for the short period, were you on track for a certain major? Uh, I got in just with whatever I could because my grade wasn't extremely high. Mm -hmm. So I went in doing a Bachelor of Science and then I was uh, studying uh, biology, psychology, cosmos, culture. Oh, wow. And then Was that something that intrigued you? Yeah, I mean, I, I used to really like science, physics. Um, I really enjoyed psychology. I thought that was so interesting, and I felt like that. So many interesting implications in real-life scenarios. Mm -hmm. um, that was a cool subject, for sure. Yeah. And then what, what kind of desk job were you working as? I was an accountant, just like Just parents. like your parents. Yeah, I mean, it was just easy. I got it. Like, it was not too hard to pick up. Mm -hmm. And uh, it worked with the way that my brain works to some degree. So... Just did it. It was like 
decent money to keep me supported and then sort of pursue my passions on the side. Mm -hmm. And I probably could have gone into that life and lived the rest of my life as an accountant and just thought it was totally fine and been totally complacent with it all, you know? Yeah, that's crazy. And it's crazy that that happens to so many people. Like, we just we just go in, into some sort of career and we're like, oh yeah, this is comfy. And we just stay there forever, not knowing what it could have been. Mm -hmm. Why did you choose to go to South America? Uh, my friends were motorbiking around the whole continent, so we went and met up with them for a couple of months and just kicked it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then at that point, were you already listening to electronic music? Oh yeah, like What's So Not was already going. Oh. Um, and it was sort of the moment of, I either take this seriously, or I start to take my job, my day job, desk job seriously, and mm -hmm. I chose music. How did you meet Harley initially? Uh, he just lived nearby. Back then, not many people were doing electronic music production. We were just like two people that lived a few suburbs from each other that were both doing it. So we kind of got together and brainstormed and um, he actually saw me playing at a club and hit me up on MySpace and was like, oh dude, I've been so uninspired lately. I was really excited by all the stuff you were playing. Like, do you want to get together and like make some music? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Where were you at at that point with your solo project? But how long, how many years have you been doing it yourself? Um, so I was like touring around Australia, playing oh, in the state wow. a little bit, and mainly at that point just making bootlegs and remixes and edits of songs to like try and make sets that were a little bit more exciting than people just playing songs that you could download on Beatport and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, and then over the next few years spent countless, countless hours, like maybe even they say you need 10,000 hours to really get a handle on something. I probably spent about 20 or 30,000 hours in the next six years or so on, on music production, songwriting, uh, vocals, and everything else. How old were you when you were starting to take stuff seriously? Um, probably 23 is when I really started to take it all seriously. Mm -hmm. And I was taking it seriously before then, but I was taking it seriously and not much was happening. But it was sort of 23 when I was like, I'm going to just totally focus on this and put everything into it. How did you get yourself out there initially? Um, well, I was playing around at a bunch of clubs and, and festivals and things like that. So every now and again, someone who was sort of on a higher up level would happen to be sort of standing there when I was playing or whatever. Be like, mm -hmm. Oh, what's this you're doing? Oh, what's this song? Oh, and sort of asking questions like that. And that was usually how I met people. Where was the scene at that point in Sydney? It was... Uh, Absolutely incredible. Yeah? The music culture in Australia through that period was insane. We had so many amazing bands, lots of really cool labels doing cool things. Um, incredible club culture. Very, very educated club culture of years and years and years. Like, every single DJ knew how to do a really good warm-up set. Every single mm -hmm. DJ, um, you know, respected the sort of ethos of how it's, it's all meant to be. House music, techno music was really big. Even like minimal tech house, all of that. Um, and then like the sort of thrashy electro stuff came in as well, like Ed Banger and, um, and Mastercraft and all those types of acts too. Mm -hmm. Why did you decide to be a duo initially? Mainly because I had a bunch of skills in some areas and a bunch of weaknesses in other areas. And then I found someone who had the sort of opposite 
and then we both worked together for probably like solidly for like two years, three or four days a week just teaching each other, sort of, I'd be directing a lot of the ideas and bringing ideas in and then Harley was quicker at the time in Ableton so he'd be doing a bunch of the stuff on the spot uh, and then you know that changed over time for sure but uh, in that period like sort of 2010 to 2012 it was like really really efficient and great and good vibes and, and uh, just you know just really excited by the music and it, it was such a cool time for music there was kind of nothing really great in the the sort of commercial foreground but there was so much bubbling on the on the indie sort of around the sides in different different places around the world and just sort of trying to trying to capture you know all the exciting things that were happening everywhere and put it into one song mm -hmm. or an EP was was an exciting project to undertake how did you decide early on what type of song would be for yourself and what type of song would be for what's or not I just put everything into what's or not mm -hmm. um, I did one EP under my solo project but for that whole period, I was just putting everything into what's or not because I really believed in it and was really sort of steering the whole creative process of it. What did you learn from this split? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot. How were you able to transition out of Australia, like into US or Europe? Um, it was a few key things. Uh, definitely big credit to... Danny Bell and Gary Richards. They, I had, I was playing on one of their stages in a, a festival, touring festival in Australia, and they were really excited by the, the project and what it was sounding like and how the show felt and how the response was in Australia. So they put me on a holy ship and started putting me on all their events, Miami Music Week and um, Hard Summer and festivals like that around America. And then also Skrillex, uh, really giving the green light on it and signing signing me to Ausler and pushing songs and you know doing even things like playing Jaguar in every one of his shows for like that year that he put his album out was, that really helped set things up over here and get things moving mm -hmm. and you, you know you need people like that who are who are really backing you and really excited by you um, and excited about whatever's happening to be supporting you otherwise it's pretty tough to sort of break in. Mm -hmm. Did you meet a lot of the initial people like over the internet, like American people, or were you like making trips already to the U.S.? I had never been to America before I played here. Mm -hmm. um, I just found music I thought was dope by other artists and would just chat to them on SoundCloud and yeah. and uh, and stuff like that. How did you meet Skrillex? Um, I met him when we all did a show together uh, in Australia. How did you meet uh, Oral Grime? I met him because we were on that tour I was talking about uh, where I was playing for the hard guys uh, and Nina, Nina Las Vegas actually introduced us and said we should do some work together mm, cool. and then like two days later we did a session and we made Tell Me <laughs> so shout out, shout out Nina <laughs> what was the story that he DJed naked? yeah that happened one time <laughs> I mean to be really clear on it my two of my friends were trying to like embarrass me by like they ran on stage and started pulling my clothes off yeah and it was kind of a bit of a statement like all right fuck you guys i'm just gonna do it myself you're not gonna embarrass me and then i just got naked on my own <laughs> and flipped them off <laughs> and then played another song and then put my clothes back on <laughs> but i'll probably never do that again <laughs> what was the realization that you needed more time to yourself because you can't you can't think clearly you can't be a 
normal person if you're constantly touring. It's just so surreal and bizarre. And you know, there was periods where I was in a different country almost every day for like a year. Mm -hmm. You know, like not not too far from that. It was it was absolutely insane. And uh, you need to take time off to reflect on everything. And you need time in a studio. That was what I really missed was touring so much. Is mm. I didn't have time in, in a studio where I could hear what everything really sounded like very accurately because it's so hard, you know, being in a different room every day, different hotel. Headphones really don't cut it. Mm -hmm. That's that's one of the things that are really important. What was your personal life or life at while you were making the album? Like what was going through your head? It was non-existent. Mm -hmm. I had one, I allowed myself to have one thing that I could do that wasn't music <laughs> every two weeks, and that was it. Um, <laughs> so I'd, ex I'd exercise every morning, I'd eat really, really well, really healthy, really light, so that I, I could like stay up very late and not get sleepy and tired. Um, and I just worked for like 14 to 20, 23 hours a day probably three or four days a week and then went and did shows all weekend and then came back and did the same. I did that for like a year straight. How do you decide to have the people on the album that you did? Because you could have asked like pretty much anyone and they'd be down. Yeah, it was just, it's just my friends. Just people, I would like, I'd just go hang out with people or meet someone randomly and then um, we'd be like, oh, we should jump in the studio and just see what happens. And but just about every song came about like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there a particular meaning or theme throughout it? Yeah, it's, um, it's a, it's an album about dramatic ends to relationships, and I kind of created this dystopian parallel dimension that the whole thing existed in. Uh, that was really fun to do, and developed a bunch of characters and and have them sort of be the the narrators across the songs across the album. Mm -hmm. Is this something that like a new trial, or have you done it in your previous EPs? Um, Divide and Conquer was similar. It was that was kind of like the test run for the album. Where would you say you got your style influence from? My style influence. I follow a lot of different accounts on Instagram and a few other places, and always looking at what people wear in different countries. I always find that so interesting. All the different cultures. Like if you go to a really cool art festival or something. Like I went to Singapore and everyone's like wearing pleasures, and I was like, oh my god, yeah. I didn't even know this existed over <laughs> here. Like you literally have this thing that just came out. Mm -hmm. Um, it's interesting. Um, my friend Madison Sowers, who does uh, Trey Roche, she lives down the road from where I stay in LA. And uh, we go running in the morning and like always just talk about fashion and clothes and yeah. what's working. She actually banned me from wearing tight jeans. I wore tight jeans for the last 12 years of my life. <laughs> and she's like, you need to stop yeah. wearing tight jeans. Wear tracksuits or baggy jeans or baggy pants. <laughs> like, okay. Has Sal always been a big part of your life? No because it's kind of expensive. Yeah. <laughs> so I always really liked fashion, um, but either brands weren't being lovely and giving me things or I couldn't afford them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that was my circumstances prior. <laughs> what are your favorite brands now? Um, I love Andreas Cruz. I really love Pleasures. Um, what else? M is it M MRC? Um, yeah, there's a bunch. How do you think your music has changed since the early songs you made? I think before they were, they were like a, what would you say? 
they're a cultivation of all the exciting things that were happening around um, and they were more about sound and production mm-hmm. and then it was more like just send something to a singer and have them sing something whereas so much more now I really into and really excited by songwriting and what a song means and having a narrative that sort of carries through everything um, so for me I've really been spending a lot of this album was really spent just r- learning how to write vocals and, and it's kind of like just writing poetry with a melody mm-hmm. um, and that, that was what I spent a lot of my time on and then I'm of course still excited by production and, and strange sounds but I don't know it was, I feel like that was, an, that was an era and we're kind of very much getting past that it's, it's a lot of it's all been done and um, I don't know I still like I did that remix for Run mm-hmm. with Quicks and that was like oh yeah this stuff's still fun this is still fun to make but, yeah um, it's a little less serious a little more I guess it's a little more adolescent and I'm just I'm just growing up you know so I, I'll still dabble into that I think remaining somewhat childish is actually a really important quality so mm-hmm. it's always fun to like I suppose bottom end is a really good example of just like you know ball tearing kind of sounds and, yeah. and just having fun with it how do you think you've grown as a person since when you started um, like it's, I'm just like a totally different person I'm probably the, still exactly the same at heart, mm-hmm. but uh, I've just grown up a lot. Been through a lot of crazy, crazy shit, mm-hmm. and uh, had to learn how to deal with it most of the time totally by myself and totally isolated from family and friends because that's what it's like when you're touring for six years. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, has an impact on you, not necessarily a negative one if you handle it the right way. What would you say have been your biggest challenges? Not letting people get to you. Mm, I like that. It's a tough one because some really, really, really fucked up shit goes on in this industry, like I'm sure many industries. Mm-hmm. And maintaining your composure through that and maintaining like how you want to be as a person, even, even if everything is so unfair and so unreasonable and whatever, just keeping that line of like, no, this is me, this is how I'm going to handle this, is sometimes really challenging. Mm-hmm. What does success look like to you? I don't know. I don't really care about success. <laughs> it's not, not, not one of my things that I find important. Mm-hmm. I just really like making music. I like making stuff that hopefully has positive impact on people, and that's really all I care mm-hmm. about. What does love mean to you? Love is incredible. Mm-hmm. So when you find it, make sure... Uh, you treat it well. I like that. <laughs> Last question. What do you want to be remembered for? I don't really care if people remember me or not. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, I hope that whatever I do while I'm here, again, just has a positive in- impact and helps people. It's not really about me, you know? Yeah. This is awesome. Thank you so much. No worries. <laughs>